Okay, so I'm Dave Lowe, and uh, you are listening to the Sing World podcast. It is the Scene World podcast. My name is AJ. York is right there. Hello, guys. In a minute. Our last podcast for this year. Oh my yes. god. Yeah, this is I suppose this is our uh this is our Christmas spectacular. Christmas and New Year's spectacular. And Hanukkah as well, I believe, starts on the twenty fifth. So it's our Christmas, New Year's and Hanukkah spectacular. Right. right. So drop a ball, light your tree, spin a dreidel. <laughs> Um, in a minute, we're going to be talking to Jens Schoenfeld from Individual Computers. He's the guy behind the C64 Reloaded and the guy behind the new cases that should be coming out soon and a butt ton of other stuff. I just, I've ordered stuff from Individual Computers and they make a boatload of things and they're, it's pretty awesome. So in a minute, we'll be talking to him and we'll be discussing some of the things that are in the, in the pipeline and some of the things that have been done in the past. Uh, before that, we've got a couple of pieces of news. Not not too many because because we just did a podcast like like a week ago, and not too much has gone on since then. But we got some things, so I'll I'll let you start that one off. Okay. Well, um, I did the review of Terminal's Game Boy album a while ago that yes. I bought on Gamescom, and now there is something new in town. It seems to be pretty classic nowadays. There is an NES music card. It's called A Winner Is You, and you can get it from USB Retro or Retro USB better. Um, one of those things. One of those sites you can get it from. Yes. Just keep typing random letters until you get to the website. Yeah. So it's RetroUSB.com. And the thing is, it's a digitized album, so it's right pioneering stuff. Because that has never been done before. It's mm -hmm. a unique hardware that's in the cart and it's working on an original NES. Cool. That's really awesome, yeah. And you can get it for um, $45. That's pretty neat. Yes. And uh, there's even a video along with it. Hmm. And um, we, will, we will put Link, that in the yeah. description. Yeah. That'll be done. Where 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 the guy talks about the technical marvelous. Mm -hmm. Though that's that's really great. Cool, cool. Right. So um I got it. I'm looking forward to it. And if I like it good enough, maybe I even do a review about it. Let's see. Nice. Right. Mm -hmm. So it's interesting because you know Nintendo is known for you know being very skeptical about stuff and suing people or wanting people that do let's plays on YouTube to actually share the revenue with them you know mm -hmm. on the other hand they they official officially give permission to release stuff like Terminal's Game Boy album or this NES album that's pretty unique and um, from what I know you you get the permission of course you cannot do, you cannot use the original casing that says nintendo or game right, boy right. or and you also have to write this is not an official nintendo product but it's pretty great that nintendo is allowing that officially and, and not and not going after people i see a so, lot of a lot of companies embracing kind of the the retro bit because you know it, it's 
it's popular and it's getting more popular as we as we go along and so it's it only makes sense to to you know to embrace that as part of your business plan going forward of course i understand that nintendo wants people to ride on it like it's not an official nintendo product well yeah absolutely absolutely they, they were very nintendo was always very um very strict uh, like everything had to be an official nintendo product every game had to be officially licensed there were a couple that weren't but they were always weird you mean from tengen yeah well i I really like i think bible games weren't weren't you know if if you ever got like a, a nintendo game in like a like a baby blue case or some weird weird thing you always knew it was like oh this is some odd bootleg or unlicensed thing well, I really like the tension stuff. Yeah. Or or Alt or Ultra, which actually was an official name for Konami. Yeah. <laughs> um, to release stuff in in Europe. Yeah, and and, and <laughs> with, it works too with, because with, without permission. <laughs> yeah. Well. Yeah. So, yeah. But it it also works, and I think part of that was because they were trying to, um, because of the video game crash where. You know the, the the market was so saturated with these games, and some of a lot of them sucked, and a lot of them, you know, some were good, but a lot of them sucked. A lot of them were just kind of half-assed, thrown out there to make some money. By having this tighter control over it, you you they they could help ensure that that their video game library, while some Nintendo games did suck, the vast majority didn't suck that bad. So, yeah. I think it helped. It, it helped prevent another crash that way because not everybody was able to make an officially licensed Nintendo game. We actually covered this um, in an interview with David Crane, who said he was single-handed responsible for the yeah. video game crash. Yeah. Um, I don't remember which issue. I think it was eighteen or something. But we will put it in the description yeah, as yeah, always, so you can download it or watch it online via the web browser. Yep. Um, yep. Just to mention that again. So, um, yes, yeah, so, and we even spoke about that um, with Joe Lewandowski, mm-hmm. who did the Nintendo Duck, and, no, sorry, Atari, Atari, Atari. Atari. Yeah. yeah, I got confused, Nintendo, okay. Atari yeah, stuff. it's all the same. Nintendo, and Konami, Atari, Tension. It's all the same All the same. <laughs> yeah, you know, and, yes. And um, in the same issue where I interviewed David Crane, I also did an interview with Chris Cricks, who was the music manager of Epics, you know? Mm-hmm. You know, summer games like... Dee, dee, yeah, dee, oh, dee, I dee, know dee, summer dee. games. Yeah, or uh, California games. games. Yay. Yeah. He also did the sound effects for Maniac Mansion, Zack McCracken, okay. and for the Hollywood movie, Judge Tread. Oh, there you go. You know? there you go. I'm the law. You yeah, know, yeah. So, um, pr- pretty, pretty great guy. Hmm. Um, so, if you want to have more background about that, we will link to our other resources. Yes. So, another news, by the way, is, and we spoke to them a couple of times in our career of Scene World, Frederick Schreiber from 3D Realms and Interceptor actually announced on Kickstarter today. That they started shipping rewards of Red Rogers, which is the successor of Commander Keen, to those who don't remember. And that means I'm getting my box edition. Hey, I'm really looking forward to that. Maybe even before Christmas, as they are shipping from Denmark, as far as I know. Great man. 
Man, you are marvelous. Great. So, speaking about resources, there's a new thing. We noted that people didn't like to to link uh, to click on, you know, Bitly, Google, or you know, or t.co links. So now we got our own short link Ooh. app, and that's seen dot world and then slash and then the short link so that means from now on on twitter facebook instagram google plus and all the other platforms we are we will put short links in that means you can copy them without breaking them because facebook when the link is too long it's replaced by dots and you cannot copy and paste it anymore right or if if you go over 15 chars on Twitter, it's actually removed from your 160 chars. Mm-hmm. That's pretty bad. So now now we have seen dot um, world. So that's pretty cool. That so that cool, means right? now you know when you click on that link, it's leading to our homepage. It's an official link. Yes. Cool. Very nice. Yes. Yes. Um, that's pretty cool. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, what else? Well, last time we plugged um, C64 assembler what? tutorials. Um, and I, I think we also should plug the one that's called 64bytes.com because okay. that's really professional. Yeah. I mean, you you get uh, you know regularly tutorial videos. You get access to um, internal Facebook groups with with pro composers and coders and stuff. Mm-hmm. So it's pretty neat. You know. Yeah. I'm tr- I'm still trying to find a reason to learn assembler next year. So well, maybe you know, that's one like, of the things I should do. Like Jen said in the interview, in the future, you know, did, did you 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 know how to read and write, right? And and you weren't planning to do that for for professionally, so you might as well know how to do this too. Then I can. I, I totally butchered that magazine. phrase. I totally wrecked that phrase. But you know what? I I don't care. That's not at all how he was how it was said, but. <laughs> <laughs> who cares yeah. you can you can fast forward and listen to it yeah, yeah. yourself you, you know yeah. well, interesting a fun thing whilst I was whilst we were doing that interview normally uh, Jörg comes to these things prepared I, I don't and so I spend a lot of time usually like looking things up as we're talking and you know looking up things that I can I can talk about and a lot of times you'll hear my mouse my mouse is loud and you'll hear throughout the thing as I'm looking at stuff. And I didn't do that last time. I threw the mouse out the window and I used the trackpad because it was easier and it was quieter. But but as a, a, we were talking about products and I was looking online for products and during the podcast, I found an actual Commodore 1351 mouse, proportional mouse, for $13. Wow. And so during the interview, there's no place where I, I say it or anything, but during the interview, I made a purchase on eBay. Okay. So sometimes these things, these things, sometimes, sometimes I'm looking up good questions. Sometimes I'm just finding things on eBay. <laughs> so now you can officially use our magazine with yes, the 1351 yes. I've mouse. I've been using, for drawing and stuff, I've been using this stupid Amiga mouse that is, it, it works with certain things, but you got to unplug it every time you do anything with the keyboard because it, I don't know, I don't know what this thing does. 
to the keyboard, but it, every button is wrong, and it's 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 like the computer's on crack when you plug this thing in. But, which is a good which is a good thing to lead to the other thing. You know, on our review video of Kevin Castiles from the C64 Reloaded, and we yeah. mentioned that like two podcasts ago, people asked us crazy questions like, can I do shit with the computer without breaking it? Can I unplug, replug everything without breaking it? Mm-hmm. So um, will will the Messiah be fixed? Will Mayhem Monsterland always work because it doesn't work on the current C64 Reloaded? So we ask him all the questions our community, our readers, our watchers, our listeners ask on the YouTube video. Yep. So now you no longer have to ask us. You just listen to this podcast and you get all the answers you ever wanted to know exactly. about the C64 Reloaded Mark II that's coming up next year. Oh my God. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so I'm really happy that finally I got all the questions out. So <laughs> I will put a short link. I will put a short link and I will pin it because I saw that's a new feature on YouTube. Ah. I will pin it to the top of the comment section of that review video so people don't ask us such silly questions anymore. <laughs> Feel free to continue asking us questions, but but, but you know bear in I mean, mind that, that, that some of them may have already been answered. You might, you know, it's like, can I do that? It's breaking. And then like, why did it break? Seamwell said it wouldn't break, you know? Yeah. And that's what I'm afraid of. And, if, and not... if you have specific questions, never ask me because I have no idea. <laughs> yeah. So, um, so, yeah. One, one interesting thing is there will be no PLR socket. So, because, yeah, but, but the reason why listen to that in the interview. Yeah. yeah. Um, well, you know what we we've let's get straight to the interview. We don't have too much news to get through, so let's just let's hit that, and and people can hear the the fun questions and all that stuff, and and yeah, great. All right, I would support that. Do that. Okay. <laughs> <clears throat> so thanks for taking the time, Jens. Um, welcome to the podcast. I would say. Thanks. All right. So we talked today on the grounds of um, your plan to re-release uh, the C64 Reloaded and the new cases for the C64. And um, but but first, let's start a bit about how did you actually get in touch with the Commodore 64 and so on? How did how did your history with that company and so on? How did it start all together? Okay. Um, yeah, I actually started off with computers when I was in fourth grade, and uh, my cousin got rid of his uh, Sinclair ZX81. I played around with it for quite some time, and uh, then I saw a Commodore 64 at a friend's place. His dad brought it home from work over the weekend, and um, that was when I knew, okay, the Sinclair has lost. <laughs> I had just had to have that thing, and... Uh, I uh, pestered my dad to buy me one for uh, uh, for my birthday, and um, and then in in summer, just before I uh, got um, into fifth grade, I got my Commodore 64, and uh, yeah, that that was the start of it all, and uh, I, I was always a little hardware affected, uh, playing around with uh, Fischer Technik and trying to control my Fischer Technik with um, with the uh, with the Commodore 64, um, I broke it quite a few times, and then my my mom at some point refused to pay for the repair, and so I I had to learn how to repair the C64 myself because uh, I couldn't just be without. 
and uh, that's how I um, got deeper and deeper into the hardware. And uh, yeah, today I can say I pretty much understand how the computer works. So you are kind of self-taught. Uh, yeah, that's uh, that's that's true for for most of the uh, um, of the knowledge I have around Commodore computers. Um, of course, I got a little bit of knowledge uh, studying electrical engineering at the University of Aachen, and uh, uh, yeah, well, combining that knowledge is uh, what I what I do on a regular basis. The um, uh, the research we do for the Chameleon project, for example. Um, then, of course, combined with electrical engineering and computer science knowledge, um, that's really, really interesting. Um, so you might not only call it self-teaching, te self but also actual research, because there are details of the machine that are just not documented at all. So, um, well, you could even go further and, and call it uh, kind of digital archaeology because we are um, trying to find out how they did stuff back then, and that's pretty much what an archaeologist is doing. And how did you actually go to this step and say, I make my own company? I mean, Individual Computers is doing a lot of um, of. Um, accessories for the Amiga and the C64. You are doing a lot since since a lot uh, since a long time. I mean, I personally know you since uh, 17 years or something. So you're doing it for a long time now. And how did you actually get the idea to say I do my own company and I make my living out of retro computers? It um, yeah, it, it was also kind of not exactly planned, but it just turned out to be that way. Um, in 1994, when I, I already finished school, I didn't, did not yet start my, uh, my studies at uh, the University of Aachen. Um, a few friends from, uh, from Neon Games approached me um, and asked, well, can you do a special kind of hardware? Back then it was about uh, using Amiga 1200s for uh, tracking movements um, just from video cameras and um, I said yeah sure I can I can try to do the hardware and um, we set up a, a little contract I started doing the thing and um, that's when they've been asking me well we can't employ you but of course we can we can we can pay you so uh, yeah uh, you need to write us an invoice and that's a legal step uh, that you uh, um, that, that that you do in germany uh, before you can write invoices official invoices you have to register a business and um i did that for that specific contract um in in 1994 and I just never canceled the business. I just had this uh, uh, this registration and um, never um, thought about uh, um, releasing it. I, I don't know what the English word is. Das Gewerbe wieder abmelden. Jörg, can you Well, unregister the business, maybe? Yes, I never unregistered the business. And... Um, then, of course, uh, quite a few years later, in uh, 2006, um, I founded the uh, Individual Computers GmbH. Uh, that's the German version of a limited liability company. And um, the um, 
it was um, it was only then when I really uh, started uh, full time uh, taking full time employees and uh, uh, really um, kind of uh, planning to stay in retro computing. Until then, it was really in, in parallel to my uh, to my studying, and I. Um, just happened to make some money out of it. Uh, it was plus minus zero um, during that time, and um, I uh, only turned it really into a grown-up business starting 2006. And uh, yeah, um, by then it was already clear that uh, neither the Commodore 64 nor the Amiga will take over world domination uh, and, and, and beat Microsoft or Apple or whatever. Uh, so it was absolutely clear that uh, these are hobby machines, very, very nice hobby machines, and and all this uh, all, the, all this kind of pressure and and, and persons that uh, really wanted the Amiga to to be the office computer and the computer that um, uh, that should be in everybody's home and that should do office work uh, for um, just everyone. And uh, yeah, beat Windows or uh, Apple quantity-wise. All that, all these thoughts were already taken out by that time. And um, I was sure retro computing—it's—it's a hobby, a very nice hobby. And uh, more and more people start uh, start looking into it and really see that. Computing can't be only frustration because some driver doesn't work or whatever, but it, it can be really fun. And um, that's really how I approach the business. I, I try to solve the problems that people have maybe entering the, um, the hobby that uh, somebody might have, problems that somebody, uh, someone might have firing up the machine after a few decades and... Uh, trying to make a connection to the modern world, like downloading software and transferring it to the machine. And, um, yeah, really try to um, lower the frustration level and uh, to lower the hurdles of getting into it. And um, you might want to say it's um, an attempt of uh, lowering the hurdle to having fun with a computer. And as a as a result of this, you got the idea to make the C64 Reloaded, which I think was um, like a limited run. You you didn't do a, you didn't do it unlimited. Um, well, and you unlimited, did like yeah. unlimited wasn't an option by then. And of course, the uh, the Commodore 64 Reloaded or uh, the, the units that I sold was, were not Commodore 64 Reloaded. Those were C64 Reloaded. I didn't have the Commodore label by then. Um, those weren't exactly planned. Um, I just uh, started um, uh, calling chip brokers out there and um, asking, well, can you get MOS or CSG chips? CSG stands for uh, Commodore Semiconductor Group. And um, I, I just wanted to get all the chips that start with 65-something or 85-something because those are the ones that, uh, or 83-something, those are the ones that uh, that are being used in the Amiga and uh, I was just after Amiga chipsets. I knew that the AGA chipsets that were left over after the ESCOM bankruptcy, um, they had to be somewhere. And so I started digging, uh, digging around. I found them. 
But uh, by pure coincidence, I also found a couple of hundred C64 chipsets. And I thought, well, C64 is a simple machine. And before I start on the Amiga, um, I'm going to do the simple machine first, for starters, for, for a warm-up, you know. <laughs> and, uh, uh, of course, it, uh, if, if whenever you think something is easy, it turns out to be much harder than, you, uh, than, than it looks from the outside. And um, yeah, it turned out to to be quite a long development, and uh, until it was really ready ready for mass production, um, a few more months than I expected have passed. And um, then, of course, to my surprise, um, so many people were interested in it that the website broke down on the first day when I announced that sales would start. And um, yeah. Um, I guess the rest of the story is pretty much known, and um, I still didn't get around to making the Amiga Reloaded yet, um, which, by the way, will not be called Amiga Reloaded because I can't use the name Amiga. Um, the rights to the name Amiga remain with a company that obviously doesn't want to do um, licensing contracts that are not silly by default, and um, so I will call it uh, Commodore A1200 Reloaded, and um, I guess that's that's an even better name. But uh, before that, um, now I have the uh, um, the license to using the Commodore name, and uh, I will of course make uh, the C64 Reloaded Mark II, or in this case Commodore 64 Reloaded Mark II, and um, that will be available in two different versions: one using the real chips that were available back then and uh but unfortunately i don't have the chipset so i'm going to have to sell it with empty zip sockets um hoping that nobody is going to harvest chips from a working commodore 64 this is a call for all you guys out there if you have a defective c64 okay use the chips but if it's a working c64 that's a classic machine um Leave it as is. I really don't want anybody to to harvest chips um, off working machines. Um, so let's let's call the C64 Reloaded Mark II um, something f purely for restoration. So if you have a defective board that you can't repair, although you have already replaced all the chips and you still can't get it to work, um, then the C64 Reloaded Mark II is what you've been looking for. And um, if you really want a new machine um, like the Commodore 64 back in the days, um, in the form factor of the Commodore 64, but with modern chips in there, then uh, the uh, the FPGA-based version of the C64 Reloaded is uh, what I would recommend to get. Mm -hmm. And um, that is all planned for 2017. Um, it's Actually, the next project I'm going to start is uh, the C64 Reloaded mainboard with real chips. And after that, um, it's going to be FPGA-based and uh, really uh, looking into the next uh, decade or two of delivering C64s without the pains of sourcing original chips. Now, is there a way to kind of do hybrid where you can you can have some FPGA but then some original uh, yes, of course, that's possible, but um, I think this really doesn't make sense for most of the C64 chips. Um, it would only make sense for the for the SID chip, because the SID is still something that is quite hard to emulate, 
um, especially the filters. The, the SID chip in itself is a hybrid between digital and analog circuits, and that is something um, that is hard to do on an FPGA. Actually, the FPGA would have to emulate the behavior of the analog side. It would have to calculate the behavior of the analog side, and therefore um, quite a lot of uh, FPGA space is required. Um, we do have a nice SID implementation in the Chameleon core already, but uh, that's not um, uh, it's not perfect. So the only chip that I would really the only original chip that I would accept next to the FPGA would be a SID chip, and um, maybe I, I will really add a socket. I, can't say uh, what the concept will be. I will um, probably have to, to talk this through, especially with the FPGA developer that uh, that has been doing the, uh, the chameleon for a long time now with uh, Peter Wendrich. Um, the, in the end, he's going to be the one uh, to say yes or no, I'm going to do it or not. <laughs> um, because uh, one of the main things I, I try to uh, I, I try to keep up in the uh, with my employees is uh, is a good motivation and i i think just uh, saying okay do it this way do it that way just because i want it like that um that's not good for motivation i really want my employees to love what they do and um this can only be the case if um they also accept the concept so i'm not the only buddy uh, the, the only person in this um in this company making um making the decisions um because of course i could be because i'm the owner i'm the ceo um but i do this uh, i definitely do this together with my employees and uh that's um uh that's not going to change in the future because uh, i i can be wrong and i try to uh minimize the uh, the possibility of making the wrong decision by making these decisions together with my employees. That reminds me a bit of uh, Jack Tremel and his check attack, you know. <laughs> he making decisions with an iron fist and you could be like Jens attack, so from the name it would fit, but of course um, maybe it's better to to include your your employees with the decisions, of course. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Because um, I I just might be maybe running into the totally wrong dis, uh, wrong direction, um, and uh, in the end, my employees might be walking off just because they think, well, uh, Jens is a moron. This is not a uh, working product, and uh, um, so yeah, it's uh, of course working for individual computers also uh, must be fun. Uh, that's that's part of the motivation if you if you love what you do you do it right if you don't love what you do if you just uh, uh, execute the job to uh, to be able to pay your invoices then um, at some point um, it's uh, yeah but you can feel it in the product and I don't want to uh, uh, I don't want to introduce that with individual computers um, as fun as it should be using retro computers um, the same fun should it, uh, should it be to develop for retro computers right um, so seeing that you say there will be two versions as I probably I probably think you also saw that there is a competitor product called the the D64 coming out next year that was actually started by the guy who who got who invented kind of the concept of the DTV. Yeah, 
Yeah, well, you call it competitor, but um, I don't really see it as a competitor. If you read the campaign and uh, if you take a closer look at what he's offering, then uh, it is just a um, yeah, it's just an emulation platform. I think he's using some kind of ARM system on a chip, and um, that uh, yeah, that's just emulation in a different form factor. You might as well buy a cheap PC and uh, install Vice on it. And um, since since he's uh, pretty open about using emulation, but not open about what kind of emulation. It might even be a GPL violation, but I think he's not out yet with a product, so I don't want to jump to conclusions too soon. Um, the main thing, the, the most important thing that he has been publishing in his um, in his campaign is that he said it would be way too expensive and uh, way too much work to actually put the C64 and the required peripherals onto a chip and make the product that he is planning using a real chip. So he's essentially saying what individual computers has been doing these past eight years with a chameleon is way too expensive for him and he won't bother to go to these lengths. Hmm. Well, the only thing I can say is thank you because I can't have any better advertising. He says it's impossible for him to achieve what we have already achieved. Yeah, let's talk about the chameleon. What? What? Uh, explain that a little bit to the people who might not know what that is. Yeah, the chameleon started off as um, a simple idea for a cartridge that plugs into the expansion port of the Commodore 64, and I wanted it to be a VGA adapter for the C64. We started um, in 2006, was it? Yeah, yeah, it must have been. No, 2008, I'm sorry, 2008. Um, and, uh, well, the, the concept was a little earlier, um, but uh, the, the first real product came out in 2008. And um, the idea back then was to have a VGA adapter. CRT monitors, uh, tubes were dying on a regular basis, and uh, um, flat screens were just coming up, uh, just, well, not just coming up, but uh, getting cheap enough for everybody to afford. And um, the original monitors for the C64, um, they were dying on a regular basis. And I just wanted to have something for the C64 um, to adapt its video output to VGA. And the concept I wanted it was to have it external. I wanted it completely digital. So it had to be on the expansion port. Um, and... Uh, because the other, the monitor signal that comes out of the, the C64 is analog, and therefore um, I just didn't want to, uh, um, I di didn't want to tap that and convert that to digital when I, uh, when I have the, um, the possibility of uh, gathering the picture data on it, uh, in a digital way. Um, this turned out to be rather complicated um, but uh, in essence, it worked. And after we completed all the work, um, it turned out it was not possible without emulating the processor externally. So in essence, we replicated part of the C64 in the external cartridge 
in order to replicate the picture. Mm-hmm. And before, um, uh, well, uh, before we knew it, the whole cartridge turned not only into a C64, but into a C64 with peripherals like a 1541 floppy drive, fully emulated. Um, and you can even switch on uh, two of these because one is not enough, you know. <laughs> it's Commodore, you can always expand. And the um, the cartridge has one property that many people may not like because expanding is uh, what many of these hobbyists really like to do. Um, the chameleon cannot be used in cartridge port expanders. It must be connected directly to the computer. And in order to um, in order to ease the pain of not having any other cartridge that you can um, operate together with the chameleon, we just started implementing many many cartridges, if not all the important cartridges, into the chameleon as well. So you can now um, switch on and off certain expansions that you always wanted to have in your C64 like uh, the RAM expansion units from Commodore, like GeoRAM, uh, certain freezers. We were emulating Action Replay, Nordic Replay. Um, uh, Super Snapshot is one of... I think Super Snapshot is very, very popular in, in North America, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, it was. Yeah, um, then Epic's Fast Load uh, is, is one of the things, and uh, the list is really huge. Uh, I suggest just looking up in our wiki, um, because I, it's it's like 40 cartridges uh, that you can choose from, and uh, then variants by, with different ROM uh, versions uh, that makes a couple of hundred cartridges that you can choose from without ever touching another cartridge uh, at any time, because it's all in the cartridge. Um, then, of course, having the CPU external gave us the possibility of accelerating the um, the C64. So uh, you could even um, you can even uh, uh, use GeOS at um, lightning speed, not quite as fast as the Super CPU, but definitely way faster than any original. Um, because uh, we're reaching um, a factor of 16 to 18 uh, compared to the six, uh, to the real C64, hmm. um, with quite a few clever mechanisms of slowing down whenever it's required for compatibility. So a lot of software that has been out there all all these years that uh, was barely usable back then because the Commodore 64 just didn't have enough CPU power all of a sudden becomes usable, like, for example, the PageFox cartridge that was made by a German company. And um, yeah, back Scan- then it was... Scantronic, really... I think, was the name. Scantronic, that's that's the name of, of the company, correct. Um, I actually had one of the guys um, on the phone and asked him for permission to uh, to publish... Um, to publish his uh, his work back then, and uh, he said, "Well, yeah, sure, I'm not interested in this stuff anymore." And uh, so now everybody can use PageFox, um, which really marked a milestone in desktop publishing back then. And uh, um, I think PageFox was published at a time when the Amiga was already out, 
and the C64 could really compete with uh, with other DTP programs on the Amiga back then. And seeing today that a slightly accelerated version of it uh, is is really nice to use, uh, really shows you the quality of this kind of software. And um, yeah, it's just that the C64 wasn't fast enough back then. Hmm. But a very nice demonstration of uh, the, the power of 8-bit. So, yeah, um, so in, in summary, the Chameleon is really anything you always wanted to uh, expand your C64 with uh, and just a tiny bit more because uh, I think an infrared remote control was never available for the, uh, for the C64, right? Uh, yeah, right. I don't believe so. And it, it, it actually emulates more than just the 64, right? Yeah, it's it's practically an FPGA-based computer. So um, not just the C64 is possible, but uh, there is also a port of Minimig. Then there's an Italian guy who made a Sinclair Spectrum core, so you can really use the Sinclair Spectrum software. Um, we have made a VIC-20 core and uh, really expanded a lot on it because um, we actually used the VIC-20 core um, to test the VIA chips, which are also used in the 1541 drive. And uh, in order to reach cycle exact operation, we just had to um, investigate how the real 6522 VIA chips work. So we wrote test programs, ran them on a real VIC-20, ran them on, on our uh, emulation, and... Um, that, uh, that turned out to be, uh, or today, the, the VIC-20 core that we have, um, is, uh, it, it's not one of the officially supported cores. Uh, only the C64 core is really supported, but the VIC-20 core really works nicely. Um, there is an Atari uh, 2600 core, and I think somebody even made an Atari 800. I really have to look it up myself now. Um <laughs> But uh, um, because uh, myself, I, I'm really only using the um, chameleon in uh, in its uh, in its uh, initial core in the C64 um, version. But you're not stopping there. You're also planning. Um, I've read to use the uh, molds that were. Um, discovered from um, Dallas Moore in Texas and making new 64 cases, actually. That's right. Um, last year in December, I contacted Dallas Moore and asked him if he would be willing to sell the, um, the molds. Um, he has used them in a Kickstarter um, for, uh, yeah, he has found them, and I really have to say that it, it was by pure coincidence, and uh, he's, he's not a retro computer person at this point, but he, he was uh, uh, attentive enough to, to see that those pieces of steel that were offered to him, because he is, um, his profession is a liquidator, and um, these molds were offered to him um, practically as scrap metal. And he has just seen a few sample plastic parts that were bundled with it and thought, well, I know this. 
I've, I've seen this shape before. And then he quickly discovered, okay, this must be the original mold for, for making C64 cases. And um, that's how he really um, saved these molds from being, um, from being turned into scrap metal. So he made the very first uh, the very first cases of the um, off of the uh, uh, off of these and since he is a liquidator and he doesn't have uh, any any retro computing business um, he after after this project was finished uh, he could sell them to me originally originally the uh, the return magazine from Germany they had the um, uh, right of first refusal is I think what you call it um, uh, because um, they also did something um, uh, for Dallas but um, Return Magazine gave that right to me so I could buy these molds and uh, now um, we're doing this project together the designer of the return magazine has created some really, really nice color combinations for making new C64 cases. And I have found a company that can do all the required repairs and updates to the molds. Um, I transferred these molds to Germany um, using C-Freight. That took, I think, something around eight weeks in total, or was it nine, ten weeks? I don't know, sometime in February this year. Uh, the molds arrived, and ever since uh, we've been doing repairs here, repairs there, samples here, samples there, um, adjusting colors and finding another dent in the uh, in the mold that uh, that needed repair. And we probably won't make it until Christmas, um, but uh, very it's very likely that uh, sometime around Christmas or in, in the first week of January mass production can really start because we've been we've been on this project for really a long time and uh it's now time to really say well a few dents in uh um in, in these in these molds uh, must be accepted and we, we can't have it totally perfect and um but but at some point we need to come out with a product so yeah, yeah. um uh, thomas uh, Thomas Koch um, or Pixel Wizard is uh, is his, his handle I think he's using. Um, he has created these extremely nice colors, um, um, colors that really have a um, a relation to what's been made in the 80s. And uh, well, the cases from Dallas Moore were just available in three colors that were never available before. I think it was just. Um, white, red, and blue. Um, and see-through, and yeah, there clear. was a limited run of the original cream color, actually. Mm. But it was limited to Kickstarters. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, I have a red around. one. I have a red one, actually, in which I put my C64 Reloaded last Christmas. <laughs> okay. So. Yeah, I've, I've seen a number of these cases um, uh, equipped with C64 Reloaded um, because... Uh, everybody who has really been making a C64 from scratch with these components was obviously really, really proud. And I, uh, I have my, my little private uh, picture gallery here that, uh, um, that shows all the different incarnations that you can build with uh, different color cases, different keyboards that are available um, because uh, keyboard colors um, are 
or uh, keyboard styles. Uh, there are also three of them from, from Commodore, the, the brown keyboard, then the white keyboard with print on top and front, and then the white keyboard with only print on top. And all these combinations with the different colors, um, uh, different colors that were available from Dallas Moore. But uh, to be honest, none of them really appeals to me because these uh, these colors that he has offered, neither blue nor red, is uh, is anything that Commodore has offered before. Um, and what uh, what Thomas has designed with the colors for the return magazine is really something that has a relation to what Commodore has done. Um, the original color of the bread box, this uh, uh, brownish um, uh, or light brown and dark brown keyboard, that is something that I'm really uh, looking forward to having because um, this C64C style case has never been available in, in this exact color. And I would expect that many bread box cases um, that were drilled, uh, drilled through for switches and lamps and whatnot um, can, will be used as donor units, especially for a keyboard. And this keyboard really only looks nice in the original breadbox color. And the C64C in breadbox color is something that was really missing. C64C in black, like the C16, for example, um, that was missing. Then, uh, of course, the original C64C color, um, this, uh, I think you called it beige, or really, mm, well, yeah. uh, there are numbers uh, for production uh, <laughs> that uh, that can be used. I really don't know what the, what the names for the colors are, but my personal favorite in these color combinations is the SX64 color scheme. Yeah, mine too, mine too. <laughs> <laughs> that is, that's really uh, adding value to the machine. It's, it's taking the uh, silverish metal plus um, uh, really dark gray uh, two-tone uh, color and um, applying that to the, uh, to the C64C. Um, and that is really the dream machine. It's probably uh, just those of us who have who have been using C64s back in the days. The SX64 was always kind of a dream machine. Like uh, everybody wanted to have it, but nobody could afford it. And of course, everybody would recognize it from the special color combination. Yeah. And now we can really make our own uh, color combination like this. <laughs> this is. Um, I'm really looking forward to that. I have one question about the Z64 Reloaded because a lot of a lot of um, our listeners and readers were asking that when our editor um, Kevin Castiles from Canada made a review video on YouTube about the Commodore Reloaded, and he figured out the Messiah cartridge wouldn't work, and that was a lot of turndown for many people. Despite you could work around it with a uh, with a user port reset button, but a lot of people were asking us if the a new version of the Reloaded would fix that problem. Yes, of course, I will fix that. Um, uh, like like you already said, there is a workaround for the existing C64 Reloaded. Um, and uh, it is purely related to the uh, to the reset signal, not e acting exactly like on the uh, original C64. Um, I didn't bother to uh, um, to replicate 
that signal exactly like in the original C64 because I didn't expect any um, any cartridge or any component that he would ever attach to the uh, to the C64 to care. And uh, yeah, the Messiah cartridge taught me different. <laughs> and um, I will of course uh, I will of course uh, add the um, um, add this to to the new design. Um, yeah. Like I said, the new design with the real chips, um, that is something that um, will be delivered without, um, without the ship chips, unfortunately. So even, uh, even the CR chips uh, will be in, in ZIF sockets. And uh, yeah, one nice surprise, uh, something, uh, one, one question that, that I got frequently, maybe you got it too, um, was uh, the color of, the, uh, of, of these ZIF sockets. Um, the C64 Reloaded had them in light green, which I thought is, was a nice contrast to the black board, but many, many people have asked for black ZIF sockets because they wanted just everything black, black chips, black sockets, <laughs> black board. And um, this is something I can confirm now. I have found a company that will make, uh, that will make these ZIF sockets in black for me. And uh, maybe this is enough of a reason for somebody who has al- who already owns a C64 Reloaded to <laughs> to buy a second one. <laughs> yeah, well, interesting. Um, I also think you shouldn't you shouldn't butcher original C64. I got mine from from Uwe Peters. My set of chips, so they they are still available if you know who to ask. Um, so the question is. Will you also offer the PLA, the Super PL version three with it, like like in the past and so on? Because that's one of the ships that frequently breaks, and you made this Super PLR to replace it. Um, I will not even make a socket for the PLA, but I will put the PLA right onto the board because I've oh. had too many support cases. Um, uh, it really just a few but still too many support cases because people have been using EEPROM PLAs and certain things, especially cartridges, didn't work right. And um, although I was mentioning it in the wiki and everybody knows that uh, I'm really not a fan of EEPROM-based PLAs, um, people, well, knew better and tried anyway and failed. So um, I will put uh, a PLA replacement right on the board and even uh, fix the uh, the problem that that there is with the original Epix Fastload uh, cartridge, which uh, kind of uh, uses an analog effect of the original PLA chip, which the Super PLA version three doesn't implement um, because it's a different logic family. So if I'm uh, uh, implementing a PLA into a modern 3.3 volt CPLD, then uh, this this property will be there, just like with the original PLA chip. And I will not have the problem of people stuffing in a PLA chip, so uh, the wrong type of PLA chip. So um, this is going to make it easier for people, I hope. And uh, maybe I can uh, even add another surprise to it, but uh, I haven't built a prototype yet, so I don't want to go into details oh, sure. uh, of, uh, sure. into, uh, of, of, the, um, of the actual board. 
Yes, yeah. it's it's interesting. Um, another question people asked us often, but I always said like, well, take care of your hardware. Is like, can you plug in and remove the joystick <laughs> without switching it off? And can I use the headphone plug without switching it off? Because I know the early Pratt bin C64 didn't have um, didn't have a protector against shortcuts of the CIA ship. And actually, I had a Pratt bin once, a C64G, that was broken by constantly um, removing and plugging in the joysticks without being Interestingly, now I've got a, a piece of software. It's, a, it's a Interpaint, and it lets you use one of the things that you can do. You can actually use an Amiga mouse with it, which I happen to have one. But because the Amiga mouse does weird things, every time you go to save something or go to use the disk menu, it says, unplug the mouse. And then it's like, plug the mouse back in. So it's telling you to do it while the machine is on. Yeah, well, uh, plugging and unplugging joysticks um, is, is, not really a, um, uh, is not really a problem. Um, what you're probably referring to is that um, if you get close to the joystick ports with your fingers, um, the chances of electrostatic discharge into the joystick ports are pretty high. And that is something that no CR chip will ever be able to stand. So um, any C64 is really in danger if you, uh, if, if you are completely charged and discharge yourself into the joystick port of a C64. <laughs> it will most likely burn a CR chip. Um, the C64 Reloaded has already added a lot of, um, a lot of protection diodes, so-called clamping diodes, um, to protect the CR chip. In fact, I, have, I haven't had a single person reporting to me that he has burned a CR chip in his uh, C64 Reloaded, but uh, it is also... I, I really don't want to claim this as a design success because I would expect that many, many of the C64 Reloaded customers are uh, tech people who really know how to handle these delicate chips. And uh, but but still, I think it's good design practice to add uh, to add protection diodes, clamping diodes on these signals because they don't affect compat compatibility at all but they give a certain level of, uh, uh, of protection. I, I don't even know if uh, this human body model of discharging t uh, 2,000 volts into, uh, into these ports, uh, if, the, um, if the chips would really stand that. And uh, to be honest, I wouldn't want to risk it either. Um, so um, I will just keep these protection diodes and uh, believe that these will improve the immunity of the machine towards uh, uh, electrostatic discharge. But I will definitely not uh, promise anything, um, any level of protection. Um, the, the schematics of the C64 Reloaded are open, so the, the type and location of these protection diodes is known, and every engineer can look at them. Um, there are actually quite a few really um, hardware literate people on the uh, Forum 64 who have uh, reviewed the schematics and uh, uh, criticized a few spots and uh, uh, gave me thumbs up on many more spots uh, at, uh, of, uh, of the schematics. And um, so I think um, getting this positive feedback from, 
uh, I, I don't even know what what uh, what kind of people they are. If if they are really engineers or just hobbyists. Um, but uh, like I said, uh, a lot of positive feedback on the way I have implemented things on, on the uh, CC4 uh, Reloaded. And therefore, um, well, if it is good design practice and if it doesn't affect compatibility, I will definitely keep it in. Well, I mean, one thing people often don't consider is even Commodore hardware themselves wasn't compatible to each other. Yeah. You could have some some models that wouldn't run Mayhem in Monsterland. Um, you you would have some models that would wouldn't run a certain demo. Even the Commodore 64 original um, re revisions are not 100% compatible to all the software out. Well, the fact that you mentioned Mayhem in Monsterland uh, is probably gearing towards the VSP fix that I have added to the uh, C64 Reloaded. Exactly. Um, yeah. VSP, uh, or let's let's first go to Mayhem in Monsterland. Um, VSP is an effect that was first used by this game, Mayhem in Monsterland, um, to uh, make extremely fast movements of the um, of the screen. In order, uh, without the need to copy large amounts of data within memory, so um, it uh, it allows you to um, do quick movements, like as required uh, in an action video game, um, without uh, too many, uh, without too much programming. But like you said, it doesn't work on all the C64s, and this is related to. A bug in the video chip, which wasn't 100% described uh, up until a few years ago, when uh, Tommy Lempinen from Sweden has uh, has pestered me over and over again to look into this and that, and he made logic analyzer, analyzer shots. And uh, when we met at one of the demo parties, the uh, revision, um, one of the classic demo parties that's taking place every Easter. Um, we came pretty close to figuring it out, and um, but in the end, I really have to give credit to uh, Tommy Lempinen and uh, um, LFT uh, for figuring out who what the VSP bug is all about. And um, then, of course, being a hardware person myself, and uh, also offering design services and hardware bug fixing services for other companies. Um, I pretty quickly found out how to uh, how to fix this, um, and added the VSP fix to the C64 Reloaded, and that will even be extended upon with the C64 Reloaded Mark II because there are still some chip combinations that are not 100% uh, debugged with the uh, with the VSP fix of the C64 Reloaded. Hmm. Okay. Well, then I should try that actually, because I didn't try running my once that on my machine yet. Um, um, you will most likely find that it works. It's uh, it, it is one chip combination that hasn't been sold very often or hasn't been used very often, especially because most of the people prefer the six five sixty nine instead of the eighty five sixty five. And the 8565, I think revision 2 is the one that's affected, but I would have to look that up. Ah. <clears throat> Great. So that means all your plans are for early 2017. 
Um, I can't really give too many promises because I've uh, I've been uh, I've been working on on closing and finishing many other projects. Like uh, I've I've started a lot of projects for the Amiga while negotiating with Polabe about the uh, Commodore license. And um, yes, these these projects are all almost finished. Uh, the ACA 500 Plus is almost out the door. And therefore, uh, yes, I can say that uh, I will start designing or maybe even making a prototype of the Commodore 64 Reloaded Mark II in January. And once that is working and once the uh, the technical data is finalized, I will start taking pre-orders. And this time it's going to be even before the start of production because um, there will be no limits this time because we don't have the limiting factor of uh, original chips. So anybody who wants to order a board can order it. I won't be able to deliver right away because production hasn't started by then, but uh, whenever I'm taking pre-orders, I think uh, I have a track record of really delivering and keeping a production schedule. And um, I think over the past few years or even, well, is it is it already a decade that uh, um, that I have introduced this very strict policy of um, really only taking money for something that I know exactly when I can deliver the item. <laughs> it is, uh, yeah, this, this is really something that the retro market, uh, uh, that, that makes the retro market a little bit funny or maybe even attractive to criminals because uh, there have been quite a few projects in, in the retro, uh, in this retro scene um, both Amiga and C64 projects where people have promised a lot of things and uh, started taking orders, started taking money and never never delivered anything. Um, I think, well, uh, a few super CPU customers are still waiting for their units. Um, a few VGA converter unit uh, customers are still waiting for their VGA 128 um and then, of course, a number of Amiga projects um, like Siamese um, that um, that started taking orders, started taking people's money, and never delivered. That is uh, that is really something that has harmed the market and that has harmed the reputation of this very nice hobby. And therefore, I I, I try to tell people look closely and then look exactly who you give your money to yeah right um which brings me to the question as i said reputation um well how about how about getting the license to use the name commodore was that an issue for you because we know there are other companies around making <laughs> smartphones <laughs> under that name and stuff yeah you know? i had to ask this question i'm sorry okay um yeah, using the name Commodore is, of course, uh, um, a long-term wish of mine, and um, I frequently contacted uh, the Commodore Corporation. Um, you, you know, this. I think th their website is still defective, uh, but um, email addresses are working for them. And um, the Commodore Corporation um, was bought by um, by a company called Polabe, 
Um, they, I am not sure whether they are in the process of moving to Luxembourg or if this move has already taken place, but uh, um, when sometime in, in 2014, was it? No, 15. It must have been 15. Sometime in 2015, I uh, contacted um, or sent yet another email um, to an address that I knew existed. Um, but that actually didn't reach somebody from Commodore Corporation, but somebody within Polabe, because they already had control over the domain and over the um, uh, over the emails. And that's when actual negotiations really started. And um, Polabe is uh, they they really know what they have there. They want to do something with the Commodore brand and. Uh, their technical persons, um, they really want to see that somebody who is using the brand is um, is not damaging it. So they won't accept rebranding Chinese imports, um, but they, they really want to see that there is some kind of development behind the product and some kind of quality control really a company infrastructure behind it um they really turned my books up and down and uh, demanded certain other things that i don't want to go into detail here of course, yeah. during the uh, during the negotiations um i actually had a few orders shipments and support cases where i wasn't exactly sure if these were uh, Polabe people just uh, trying to see how I do support because uh, it was around a time when we um, discussed details of the contract on how support needs to be done and, and what certain what, what minimum level of uh, of tech support there has to be for Commodore products. So as you can see, Polabe really takes care of the name. They want to. Um, they really want to keep it in memory um yeah the way that that we experienced it when we were kids i mean to me it it is really a huge responsibility now delivering my own commodore product because as a kid as a teenager i grew up with commodore and it, and it it's it was almost almost sacred to me um, that, uh, yeah, these, these machines with that logo on and they really did what I wanted to. And, uh, yeah, it was, it was something special. And now I think I have a responsibility, not just towards other, uh, towards my customers, but especially towards me, not to, not to destroy this, this memory that, that we all have of Commodore. Well, that See, means that, after the DTV, there will be, um, and finally, a new Commodore 64 product under the real name. Yes, of course. Um, the, like I said, the, the Com not just the Commodore 64 Reloaded, um, but also with uh, with a board um, with an FPGA. And on top of that, of course, we talked about the cases. And uh, the one thing missing um, to deliver complete machines is uh, is a keyboard. And uh, there are quite a few plans to really bring the C64 into this century and 
to bring the fun back, not just with comp uh, compatibility to the original machine, but also with a few more functions that, uh, that might make it attractive as an everyday use machine, not as a replacement for a computer or for something, for a tablet or whatever we have in our households today, but um, in a field that, uh, that is just not covered by these mobile phones or um, uh, desktop computers today. Um, we should talk about that when this concept is really finalized. Um, there, are a f there are a few ideas in there that are in the process of being checked for if, if they are patent worthy. That's why I don't want to talk about too many details here. Um, but uh, I think we can, we can do our share to bring the glory back and to really say the C64 should be in everybody's household. Now, now, see, this is this is kind of how I feel like like if Commodore were to come back or or were to, to if anyone were to use the name, this is where I would think it would be the best rather than rather than you know making cell phones or or you know modern PCs in a bread box case that happens to look like the old thing. That's you're never going to have a successful brand new modern machine Commodore, but to focus on what they're good at, which is the 8-bit systems and the Amigas and, and stuff like that, and to kind of, you know, accept that kind of niche market, sort of almost like, like the Raspberry Pi does, where it's, you know, it's a hobbyist thing, it, and and they do great business, and this is like, this is how I would think that it would be the best way to bring Commodore back, really. Yeah, that's exactly my my intention. Um, I mean, uh, Jörg just mentioned that there is a company um, from, well, I think the persons are from Italy and they registered a limited company in Great Britain. Um, they are actually not allowed to use the Commodore brand, um, and uh, at least to my knowledge. Um, well, their argument is that because Commodore never made a cell phone, they're allowed to use the name because it's not they're not infringing on anything that Commodore has ever done before. But as far as I know, they're still getting sued by about 95 people. So so we don't know. <laughs> <laughs> okay, yeah, I I really don't want to get in the middle of that um because <laughs> I consider I consider making smartphones, making tablets, making current desktop computers with current uh office-like applications, I consider that, um, quote-unquote, me-too business. Mm -hmm. I don't want to be in there. Right. right. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, um, there are companies that, that can do that. They can um, probably ship huge quantities of uh, cell phones, tablets, whatever, and um, they might even benefit from Commodore, but those <coughs> devices... Uh, from the, they might benefit from the name Commodore, but they will never carry Commodore spirit. And this is something that I want to bring back. The Raspberry Pi is a nice, ex a nice example. You mentioned uh, you mentioned a hobbyist thing, and um, yeah, that that's what I want to bring back into people's homes, um, like making programming a hobby and and making it fun to use a computer. You know, I mean. Um, <laughs> 
I, I really, I, I call the C64 the, the most sympathetic blue screen you have ever seen. <laughs> I mean, uh, blue screen is what really drives you mad on a Windows machine, and it makes you smile on a Commodore 64. I mean, what more can you ask for? Mm -hmm. <laughs> right. It's interesting, yeah. So, um, so you will, you will, you will um, release this with the mind of having another hobbyist computer and um, maybe bringing the fascination and the spirit of the Commodore 64 to nowadays generations of small kids, for example. Well, it's a great way to well, get started with, with computers because you have to look, kind of learn how to so. make it do yeah. everything, you know? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, um, I, I think the, the most sympathetic thing about the C64 is uh, its weakness. It's 1 megahertz, 64K, and you can still do so many things with it. Um, and um, But even, even if you consider this um, a learning machine, um, and you ask today's engineers, today's developers, um, any, anyone in this uh, in this business will confirm that if somebody has programmed a C64 as a child, he will be he will be able to program microcontrollers instantly. Mm -hmm. And um, this is really something that. Uh, <laughs> Today's kids, even if they come freshly from the university, they didn't have a C64 when they were teenagers. Um, so if, if uh, some freshman comes from the university, just finished his studies, uh, has a diploma in, in computer science, he will probably not be able to program a microcontroller like somebody who is 15 years older and uh, who has programmed the C64 when, when he was a kid because somebody who has worked on the C64 and uh, really uh, used a basic that uh, required lots and lots of pokes into the hardware, um, he, these people really have an idea of um, what it means to write a value into a hardware register. Many of these, um, uh, well, yeah, freshmen coming from uh, from university, um, they don't really have a concept of um, yeah of how this uh, how this all works. And um, well, I had this conversation yeah. at my my actual job the other day because I fixed part of a website and there was a guy in the mid twenties or so and and he was like, wow, you know you know HTML, and I'm like, fool, I know assembly language. You know, it's it's a whole different world. People don't even know that stuff anymore. Yeah, uh, assembly language, and uh, yeah, that's where it stops for many people. And uh, it's it's already a, a huge step forward if that person in his twenties um, would have narrowed it down and asked for well assembly language for what processor right. but uh, that is probably asking too much <laughs> and um, but, but I really I find that a pity because um, yes I think um, people should know about technology not because they must be good developers or something um, but uh, a very very simple thing um, this is a strain of arguments that I'm taking from from uh, um, well, one of the tech talks I, I heard, I I can't really name where the thought comes from, but um, the strain goes a little bit uh, like this. First of all, um, 
do you know how to read and write? The average Joe will say, yes, of course. And, well, um, then next question, do you, did you ever consider to write professionally? And most of the people will say no. And then, well, then why did you bother reading and writing, uh, learning how to read and to write? Um, and the general answer is, well, reading and writing makes everything so much easier um, and, uh, yeah, makes life so much easier. And therefore, um, it, it is a standard thing for everybody to learn how to read and to write. And I would really like to extend upon this, um, not just learn how to read and to write, but learn about technology, because um, learning about technology is not just required to, uh, for somebody who wants to work in the area, but uh, just about everybody. So if, if you know about technology, just handling technical things which are all around us, everywhere, um, will be so much easier because you have a, a little idea about what's behind it. And um, the, um, yeah, so <laughs> did you learn how to program is probably answered by many, many people as no, because I never wanted to to do this as a profession. So, yeah, hmm. Um, I think that's the wrong approach to things. I think everybody should really learn about technology. Um, but like I said, I have to get, give credit to someone else for this train of thoughts. I will have to um, uh, to look it up. I, it was a TED talk about a an educational language that is music based. That's what I still remember. But I I'm happy to to look this up and send the link to to York so you can um, sure. um, uh, he he can add a reference to this TED talk. It was a really good one. Um, I hope everybody knows what TED talks are. Oh yes, oh yes. Okay, good. <laughs> Just asking. <laughs> yeah, um, like I said, this is not my strain of thought, but I can really um, subscribe to that, and um, I would like to uh, support it with my product and and with the approach I, I am taking to the next generation C64. Well, I'm very happy to hear that all um, the all the complaints of the original C64 Reloaded finally turn out into an even better version because a lot of people <coughs> said, like, this is not 100% compatible. This is not a real C64. So it turns out the Mark II will be exactly what what the well, again, what the customer before, wants. Even, even yeah. the real 64s weren't all real 64s because there was yeah. such a... It was such a like slap together kind of. Commodore was great in that. Most of their stuff was was real, <laughs> real just thrown together. Well, I mean, yeah, I well, was yeah. Uh, sorry, sorry. I just want to say I was one making. <laughs> I was one making an interview with David Haney, who worked on the C sixty four emulation mode or the C sixty four mode for the one hundred twenty eight. Which I've just learned said, is not compatible with everything. In real yes. life, I've learned this. And I was just going to support the point from Jens that you can't you can't get in the minds of all developers what kind of weird tricks they use of the hardware. So you cannot be 100% compatible right. in, in a sense. Mm, yes, you can. 
can be, um, oh. but uh, okay. not not by default, not in every mode of the machine, um, and of course not with the limited uh, possibilities they had when they made the C128. Um, I personally consider the C128 the best C64 emulator ever, but definitely not a C64. And um, the uh, what, what we've done with the Chameleon and um, with all the expansions that we've put in there is um, to give people the possibility to create most compatible configurations. And this is something that all the freaks out there truly like. They have a single machine, and at the push of a button, they can turn certain compatibility features on and off. And this is something that was just missing on the C128. It might have been possible. I'm not 100% sure. Maybe they just didn't put enough love in it because they were focusing too much on C128 and, and CPM modes. And we're just adding C64 mode in order to um, to catch enough people who would say, okay, I want something more than a C64, but I want the whole software set of the C64. Um, uh, there are enough possibilities to add features, but um, in order to be compatible, you need these features to be uh, switchable. I'm actually... Um, I'm actually doing the same thing for the ACA 500 plus. Um, it is something, it, it's just an accelerator that you plug to the side of an Amiga 500. But then if you are a little bit, a, a little, a little bit uh, Amiga literate, then you might know that there have been plenty of versions for the Amiga 500. Um, starting off with the uh, 512K machine, Kickstart 1.2. Later on, they uh, changed to Kickstart 1.3. Then at some point they changed to an ECS Agnes, then they called it the A500 Plus, gave it one megabyte of memory and even a different Denise <laughs> chip and, and all this kind of stuff. True. Um, True. And, uh, and, and this is all something that uh, gave software developers a hard time because um, it was harder and harder to, uh, to really be compatible with each and every machine. And today, um, if, if people are returning to the Amiga, um, they know, okay, Amiga 500, that's what everybody had back then, so they buy something off eBay, and, um, well, it is something, yes. It is one of the machines that I've just listed. And um, what I'm trying to do with the ACA 500 Plus is to give, you, to give people a possibility to create um, memory and kickstart configurations depending on what the software requires. So, um, in a sense, it is possible, but you need to do that by choosing different modes. Um, the ACA 500 Plus comes up with a menu, and uh, you can just hit F keys that uh, tell you, okay, I want to launch with Kickstart 1.2, 1.3, or 3.1, or I want to um, add uh, the Action Replay Freezer and, and all this kind of stuff. Um, and this is all possible. Externally, you don't even have to open the machine and you don't have to exchange a, a Kickstart ROM or uh, uh, switch a memory expansion on or off. We can even control um, drives and, and, and swap drive numbers and all that kind of stuff. So uh, we can achieve pretty much every configuration and it is absolutely impossible for the software to tell a difference from that very machine that you want to emulate. So even if you have an Amiga 500 Plus, 
you can turn that into the very first uh, A500 with Kickstart 1.2 and software won't be able to tell the difference. And um, this is something that I would uh, always like to, uh, to implement in future machines. I will definitely not go into developing something C128-like, but uh, if there is an, an extension to the C64, it'll be switchable, of course, because uh, otherwise I will, I will never be able to reach compatibility to all software that's out there. So, I mean, I know my customers, they want to expand and they want to have a little bit more and maybe something that, that would be huge back in the days. But uh, uh, today, um, there is so much existing software that would have to be patched in order to work on, on such a, a beefed up machine um, that you just uh, have to avoid that. You would need an army of programmers to do that. And that's just not available. The beauty of these machines is this vast library of software. And um, the, uh, the only way of, of making that available is to build a compatible machine. So may I ask you, um, what's your opinion about the Mega 65? Because that's t a total different beast. And that's not well, that's closer to the FPGA model of the Reloaded because they're doing it. It's all FPGA based. Yeah, but it's um, it's meant to make a Commodore 65 complete, and uh, there's not really a software library for that machine, actually. Uh, right. Um, back then, back in the days when the C65 uh, was um, was was planned. Uh, it was already trying to compete with the Amiga. I think the Amiga was already up there. And the, the very reason why the C65 was canceled was that uh, Commodore didn't want in-house competition. They just wanted C64 customers or customers that would buy a C64 at one point would switch to an Amiga. And uh, they didn't want to give them too many options because they have learned that once you reach a critical mass of machines in the market, you also attract commercial developers. And once you have enough commercial developers, you have enough applications um, to really say, okay, this is a killer application and this is a seller for my machine. So having in-house competition is not a good idea. And um, uh, so I believe the C65 would have probably failed even worse than the C128 because of its lack of, um, of software. Um, but from today's point of view, this is truly a nice collector's item. Um, the C65 has always been a, a very expensive collector's item. And um, this, uh, this, this recreation is, is really like, um, yeah, kind of a back to the future movie situation where you go back in time and create a different fork of reality by uh, further developing this machine. Um, the only practical use for it would probably be the C64 mode, which um, we would maybe be able to uh, improve upon. There have been some, some requests, and uh, I even talked to the C65 or Mega 65 people. Um, we haven't come to any conclusion yet, but uh, it's uh, I, I really consider it a nice project, um, but not exactly the uh, um, uh, the approach that I would go for making 
um, making new Commodore hardware. Of course, I mean that's a that's a fair fair opinion. Well, I mean, in in the end, we will have to see um, which of the many products aimed for next year will will gain the most hearts. But definitely, I I want to be among those getting a Commodore C64 Reloaded Mark II. That's really sound, sounding good to me. Um, so, so are the cases also planned for January, or are you still planning to to get the cases out before Christmas? Because we we mostly uh, well, spoke about the Reloaded itself. Yeah, the the cases um, for Christmas this this is getting more and more unlikely because there has been one more repair to the to the top mold of the um, uh, of the cases. Um, like I said, that there, there, there were a number of repairs, and one of them is the um, the power um, indicator um, where the power LED comes in. Um, that's uh, there was some. Uh, uh, there was slight damage. Um, I think this damage has been in, in some of the cases from Dallas Moore as well, um, that, because we see that repair has been done there, but it hasn't been done really professional. It has been done in a way that the LED opening is still there, but the P from power isn't completely readable, and therefore um, I think this needs this needs repair. <laughs> Um, uh, didn't then, really look so close to the P, I have to say. <laughs> I can send you a picture of the um, uh, of these last two damages that we have. Uh, one of them will not be repaired, and the other one, the P from power, this this one is currently in repair. Um, well, the the big uh, the big question mark we have now is is this uh, this repair going to be finished in time before Christmas, uh, which is very likely. But the next question is, do we get any time on the injection mold machine? And uh, that's uh, highly questionable because shortly before Christmas, there's always uh, some some extra business for these service companies, um, and uh, it's. Um, going to be hard to uh, to get this one um, to get this one out before Christmas maybe uh, maybe samples for journalists but uh, because you might have seen that the uh, um, German national TV ZDF uh, they had a few cases yes I know I mean I was actually I was actually oh, right. triggering yeah, them. That interview. Sorry, right? Yeah. <laughs> I'm the reason. I'm the reason they spoke to you because I was meeting up with that guy in the in the National um, Film Museum in Frankfurt, and I was talking to him, and I was telling him, well, the 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 news on the television, they're always talking negative about the retro hobbies and all our nerds and unsocial and stuff, and I was actually suggesting him this topic, so. I'm the reason. Yeah, <laughs> they approached you actually. Yeah, thanks. thanks. <laughs> okay. Yeah, but um, well, maybe not all the listeners um, of, of this podcast uh, knew about this. Maybe you could also link into the Mediatek. Um, uh, although the, that article that they made was primarily about the retro console by Nintendo, um, but uh, well, a little bit of uh, C64 is topic uh, is is also a topic in that one. So maybe you could link to that too. Oh yes, we, we mentioned it a couple of times in our podcast actually, because we oh. always link some news 
and what's what's happening around the world yeah. okay now so, it's out yeah. i uh, i'm not a frequent listener but yeah maybe i should <laughs> <laughs> thank you yes yeah you're right well you know the thing was to to make a news a news article and a bit for television that would um, gain prod interest and the most prod interest would be NES and then the Commodore came after that this is the reason how it came along okay you know they were actually saying Nintendo would be like the most recogni recognizable for nowadays um, generation so this is why Nintendo came first and then came Commodore so that is the reason why okay yeah, well, I'm not sure whether we can turn this around. I mean, I already mentioned that uh, um, during uh, the, the first part of well, uh, maybe 2000, 2001, uh, when the Amiga was still big, there were many people who have criticized me um, saying that the Amiga belongs into a retro group um, and, and to, into, well, the Amiga is kind of a retro computer. I've been criticized for that earlier, um, well, like 16 years ago. And um, yeah, today I think um, all this fighting, especially between these uh, uh, blue versus red PPC uh, thing in, inside of the Amiga, uh, uh, well, community. It wasn't really a community back then, but uh, this is over, and there is a new kind of Amiga community, very similar to the existing C64 community, very friendly, very creative people, and um, this, uh, this is really starting to, to be much more fun. And um, that's uh, that's the the kind of hobby I want to see. I don't I don't want to see so much fighting as we had in in the uh, the early years of this uh, millennium, uh, especially <laughs> in the PPC top uh, around PPC topics for the Amiga. Yeah, right. And um, yeah, so both is really fun, and, and both is Commodore related, and uh, uh, the the Commodore Commodore name above all this is is really. Um, the the icing on the cake for me. Um, you can imagine that smile that I had on my face ever since I signed the contract. And uh, of course, it's a bit uh, it's a bit annoying that I can't uh, provide a product in time for Christmas. But uh, I I'm pretty sure there are a few more Christmas uh, coming where I can provide products. And um, uh, I hope the C64 Reloaded and the new concepts will bring new glory to the Commodore name. Great. Um, so, so where can people find out about all this, actually? Um, of course, my website says it all. Um, not very much at the moment, uh, because uh, I'm, uh, I'm only out, uh, putting out news when I really have to say something. And uh, um, just uh, go to icomp.de, I-C-O-M-P.de, um, those who don't speak German, just click on English, and um, you can look at the news. You can subscribe to the RSS news feed, or if you are interested in a specific product, um, which is already announced but not yet available, you just register on the site, log in, and if you uh, click on any product in, in the shop page, um, a user that is logged in will see an additional box that you can tick, uh, notify me about stock changes and, and yeah, product-specific news. 
Um, so um, there's a few levels of information that you can get by just either browsing the site or requesting push news about certain products. I try not to um, pester people with lots and lots of emails every week, but only when I ha when I really have something to say. And um, yeah, uh, I hope that's uh, that's not too scarce, not too much radio silence, but. Uh, there's a lot going on in the background, and uh, I like to present results and not announcements. <laughs> I remember when I got my uh, 664 reloaded, I got that email at half past one on Friday night. And I was like, okay, Jens is selling off the last ones of the limited run at, at, at night. <laughs> so that was really interesting. I don't even remember that one, but uh, yeah, at, at times it's uh, um, you get you get a totally different sleep schedule uh, once you have family, and uh, if you uh, then if you find the time between uh, certain things, uh, you don't really care what what time it is. Uh, but uh, if you, if it's like yeah, I'm awake, the kids are asleep, and there is work to do. Okay, don't care about the time. Yeah. <laughs> but this is also something that um that I try to get into the spirit of my products. Like I said in the very beginning, the frustration level of a computer can be very high if uh, if you don't get to a success within a certain amount of time. And um being a parent, um I know that spare time can be very limited and you don't want to spend your spare time setting up and configuring a complicated machine and reading lots and lots of documentation but you just want to fire it up and do stuff and, and really get to a point where you say okay this is a successful thing this was fun and I I define this this time span this limited um, uh, this limited spare time that uh, people of our age probably have as the time between taking the kids to bed and going to bed yourself. Okay. okay. That's yeah, that makes probably, sense. That, that, that's probably just 90 minutes in an evening or something. And then, of course, the wife also needs some time. <laughs> so, um, uh, frustration level must be kept really low. And although it, it, there may be very complicated topics around computer hardware or computers in general, um, I think the, uh, the the main task of um, um, of a developer, be it hardware or software developer, is to make things easy and to to lead people to success in um, uh, not too long time. Great, great, nice. Thanks for taking the time, Jens. It was good talking to you again. Thanks for your call, and uh, yeah, uh, send me a link to the final thing, and I sure. will try to I will try to find that TED talk with the uh, um, with that uh, sure. music educational thing where they uh, introduce with this. Um, yeah, I've written that down, and I hope I can find that uh, within mm, not too long time. <laughs> ah, no problem, no problem. Thanks a lot, Jens. Yes, thank you much. Okay, thanks for your call. Yeah, you Have too. Nice bye, bye bye. Okay. So that was Jens Schoenfeld from Individual Computers. You can find out more about what they do on the website. It's icomp.de. That's I-C-O-M-P.de. Um, there you can find stuff about the 64 Reloaded and the Chameleon cartridge and the, the new cases that will be coming out. And 
the the plethora of other stuff that they make. You know, they, they, there's a there's a there's an adapter that lets you use a PS2 mouse with your 64 instead of a 1351, which I purchased two days before I found an actual 1351. So I've got options never, now. Never too bad. No, I've never got too options bad. now. You know. So right. yeah, you know where to find us. It's sceneworld.org, uh, youtube.sceneworld.org, all those things. I'm not going to list them all in, in this because there's too many. They're in the description below. Click on them, check them out, read issues. New issues should be coming out soon, maybe by the time you hear this, maybe not. I, I don't really have any idea. Yes, but we try to do within December. Yes. Gary is actually in the final steps of putting it together. Yeah, so. yeah. So, go, Gary, go. Yeah. So, you are crazy. Yep. Until next time, have uh, have some good holidays, a good new year. We will see you in 2017. Yeah. See ya. Bye bye.